Welcome to the One Rental at a Time podcast. This is your host, Michael Zuber. This is the show where we interview guests involved in the real estate business, from experts to newbies, wholesalers, flippers, buy and hold, apartments, commercial, notes, hard money, Airbnb, mobile homes. It doesn't matter. If you're involved in the business, we want to talk to you. This show relies on referrals and recommendations from our listeners. If you know someone we should talk to, please make a recommendation. As the author of One Rental at a Time, The Journey to Financial Freedom, I'm dedicated to helping you take your first or your next step on your real estate journey. But I need your help. We need to spread the message of One Rental at a Time Works. Please share this podcast, my YouTube channel, and of course, my book, all called One Rental at a Time. Thanks, and let's start the show. Hey, everyone. Thanks for watching. I have uh, a video, frankly, that I have been looking forward to creating. Um, you know, I've, I've done about 80 or 85 videos now, kind of interviewed people across the real estate business. It's been a lot of fun. In today's video, we're going to actually flip the script. I had a team reach out to me uh, that has a tagline, retire with rentals. And what they've done is they've, they've gotten my book. They've read it. They're, they're hosting a boot camp coming up and they're like, hey, would you come talk to us? And I'm like, well, there's a price of admission, right? You're going to have my time, but you've got to read my book. And then you've got to interview me so we can sort of share with folks what's going on. So uh, they did that. They did the commitment. They, they bought it. Uh, and, and we're recording this video uh, 10 days later. So I want to welcome Tom Staub and Bobby Sharma to the show. Uh, Tom, why don't you introduce yourself and we'll go to Bobby next. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Mike. Um, yeah, so uh, co-founder of BetterTrinky.com with my partner, Bobby Sharma. Um, and spot on, we, we do push this concept of retiring with rentals, as you have. And uh, I myself am following your path and building my own portfolio across multiple cities. Um, not quite to your level, but we are on the same path. So, And Bobby? Yeah, yeah likewise. Uh, so thank you, Mike. Um, and, um, you know, so Tom and I, we are partners. We both believe in rental properties. We believe in long-term, uh, buy and hold and creating value, uh, in, in rent, using rental properties, creating passive income. Um, uh, and of course, you know, we read your book, uh, we have watched you on, uh, on, on social media. And obviously we, we you, you and I have done an interview before. So we've known each other for a while and, and we truly believe that, you know, what you've done with your book to kind of crystallize the message of uh, retiring with rentals or one rental at a time. Um, so we, we, we truly stand behind what your, what your book talks about. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to interview both of you. Uh, and I'm guessing it was that interview that kind of sparked you two talking on the side going, wow, we got to invite this guy to our, our event, which I appreciate. Um, the other thing I want to make sure the audience feels is I've had no preparation for these questions. They've not given them to me, nor do I want them. I don't think it's authentic when the interview guest knows what's coming. So I truly have no idea. So let's, let's see where this goes. Uh, Tom, I think you have the first question. Yeah, you know, I, I, again, I think that's a good idea. I want to I wanna jog your brain as much as possible, right? Because when you think about your path, I think everyone... Uh, most people that Bobby and I talk to tell us the same thing. You know, we want to replace our W-2. We want to get out of the rat race, passive income, cash flow, and whatnot. You've, you've done that and done it at a very fast pace, right? And some of it is good timing. Um, some of it's, you know, hard hard work and, and, and learning and whatnot. But if you had to summarize your last 10, 15 years in this real estate race, right? 
And I was a brand new investor coming into the game, not knowing where to start. Give me your two best tips to get started. Okay, so two best tips. Um, the first one is if you're going to be a buy and hold investor and follow this, you know, retire with rentals strategy, you need to think in decades, right? There's a lot of social media and a lot of noise around real estate investing, selling the flash, the sizzle, the stacks of cash. And if you're distracted by that, you're not going to be successful because the buy and hold rental landlord game is a game played in decades. Um, I actually just released a video yesterday or the day before on my channel, actually showing you the timeline that I went through. In the first six years, it was almost, un un it was certainly unimpressive, right? I got to eight rental units and right around $1,500 a month passive income. You know, maybe that's interesting to some, but it certainly wasn't interesting to a guy who lived in the Silicon Valley uh, who had a six-figure income. It's not, it wouldn't, I couldn't do anything with that, right? It would, it would pay, you know, I don't know, a, a third of my mortgage or something. It was just not interesting. But that was after six years. And then, you know, you know it builds and builds and inflation and mortgage pay down and all these things occur. And then it, at year 10, it was more interesting and, and, and it just explodes from there. So my first word of advice is don't be distracted and think this is weeks, months, or even years. If you're going to get in this game, work, do your day job and know it's going to take a decade at least. I truly believe lots of people can finish in a decade, but don't come to me two years later, three years later saying, hey, the passive income's, you know, X hundreds or thousands of dollars. What are you telling me? No, I'm very clear. This takes time. So you need to have the right expectations going in. And then the, number two is um, you need to stay in the game, right? There's a lot of new investors that hear noise and nonsense in the real estate game about there being a price you know, the pricing crash or 2008 crash, you know, whatever. Again, if you're in this business and you're thinking decades, does it really matter if you pay an extra five or 10 grand? Now, I'm not telling you to run out and do that. But what I'm saying is if you're playing this in decades, you're conservatively financed and you're, you're thinking that way, it doesn't matter. I bought stuff all the way up to 2008 uh, seller's market, uh, certainly overpaid for stuff. But again, I let the market cycle lead. So I 1031 out, as you guys both read in the books. It's, it, there's, you know, the market cycle is real and it gives you signals so you can protect yourself. Um, and I guess if I give you sort of a 2B kind of cheating a little. Uh, the other one is when the market cycle gets crazy, as it did in 2008, where single family homes were overvalued. There's no reason you can't let the IRS help you, right? So we did a 1031 exchange and we saved our equity. We moved into apartment buildings. Uh, and, I, and again, I think the market gives you signals. We did 1031s for about 18 months because uh, the market doesn't change overnight, right? It kind of gives you signs. So that's what I would tell people is um, think in decades, um, stay engaged. Don't try to time a market. You can't time a real estate market. It's yeah. just nonsense. It's not stocks, right? It's not daily valuations. And then, you know, to be kind of let market cycles help you is, is my advice for two things. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I would, I, would, uh, I would echo that by saying, I think when you talk to a lot of, you know, newer investors, what you see is this idea of, you know, I, I want to accomplish all this cash flow thing in the next two, three years. Yeah. And it's like, well, we all do, but one, you get, you get to make a lot of mistakes. Uh, that's just part of the process. Um, you got to start with one, learn from that and then grow. It's going to take, to your point, a decade or so to make it happen. So, cool. Yep. Great. So Mike, my, my, um, curious so six years to kind of build your first set of property, rental property portfolio. 
what do you think was the catalyst to get the growth that, that I've seen you kind of, you rapidly uh, started to accumulate rental properties? Was that, what was the, what, what happened? Was it the market, did the prices dropped? Or, tell, tell our audience a little bit about that at that point. Yep. Cer cer certainly will, Bobby. Just FYI, you went dark again. I don't know if clouds cover the sun behind you or whatever, but uh, you're a little dark right now. Uh, but to answer your question, because we, there you go. We can still hear your question, or I heard your question. Um, there's really kind of two things. Uh, first and foremost, uh, I let the market cycle help me. So we got to eight doors, seven properties. So it was six houses and a duplex. That's how you got to eight doors and seven properties. The market was overvalued. We had enough capital to buy the next one, right? We, I was simply looking for a house. That's all, I, that's, that's all I knew when I started. You know, I have all these units now, but I was an idiot, right? I didn't know what I was doing. So I was looking for that ninth house, but my math wouldn't let me buy one because they were overvalued, right? They wouldn't cash flow. I, you know, hence I created this thing called no alligators in the book. I'll never buy an alligator property, right? If it's negative cash flow, you can pound sand. I'm not buying it, right? Um, so that's when somebody at a local real estate meetup or one of these, you know, workshops that, that you guys are hosting said, you know, just innocently asked, have you thought about commercial properties? And I'm again an idiot, right? I'm going commercial properties. Why do I want to own an office building or a mall? What are you kidding me? And they're like, no, Michael, a commercial property means lending. And in your game, that's five units and above. Mind exploded. I had no idea, right? I thought apartments were owned by billionaires, right? What do I know? Uh, so I say, okay, well, no, I haven't. Let me go investigate it. And pretty soon what I found is there were apartment buildings. There was a five unit apartment building, one that we actually bought and talk about in the book that we bought for 223 that rented for three grand. When I sold a house that rented or sold for 260 or 270 that rented for 1100. I mean, do the math, right? So we did that first 1031 exchange. We let the IRS help you. We kept our equity and we're like, wow, let's do that seven more times. Um, so that's what we did. That was the first explosion. We went from eight to 80 with no new capital, which is just think about that, right? Wow. We let the market cycle run. We, I believe market cycles run in variables. So when housing is expensive, apartments are cheap. When apartments are expensive, housing is cheap. They don't run in the same uh, cycle. Uh, so just pay attention. So that was the first one. And then when the market goes on sale, uh, which happens every 15 or 20 years, get aggressive. Uh, one of the things I read about the oil crash in Texas and the savings loan crisis from people that were quote unquote successful was they wanted to, they, they wish they bought more. So one thing that I knew going in, if, if I ever was going to have a chance like that, and frankly, there was part of me that thought it would never come again, right? When, you, when I'm in 2005 and real estate's up 15% or 2007, it's up another 12%. I'm like, this freaking Texas crash and savings alone crash is never going to repeat itself. Wrong, right? So when they crashed, I got greedy and I figured out a way to buy as much as I could of anything that made sense. So when bank lending turned off, I found hard money. When hard money got too expensive, I went private. And then, you know, when, that, when houses turned around because of hedge funds, um, there were now commercial buildings, you know, that were in disrepair. Uh, we financed um, probably 40 or 50 units with zero down apartment buildings, right? Because community banks don't want apartment buildings that are in disrepair. Uh, that's not their business. So they, they saw what I was doing and they actually looked me up. I had a president of a commercial bank call me and meet me at his property that was next door to mine and say, what do you think? And I'm like, looks like a dump. He's like, do you want it? I'm like, maybe, right? 
So we worked out a deal, zero down. He financed it. He gave me a discount on interest rates. We set up a small reserve for repairs because he was just interested to make sure it was repaired. Right. And we went forward. Um, so there were kind of two critical events, nothing unique to me um, uh, that I think you just need to pay attention to. And, and the other thing, like I said to Tom's question, is you got to stay engaged in the market. You can't only look for deals when you have capital. Something I did, I still do today. I, you know, before this video, I was looking online and talking to a couple of different agents and trying to find the next deal. You have to stay engaged, uh, which is what you two do based on the interview that we did, you know, I don't know, three or four months yeah. ago. And, yeah, and Mike, you know, I, so a few things. Um, I think it's important to to know that you know the idea of buying a you know a beat up commercial property and redoing it is, I think, a lot, lot, lot of our dreams, right? But I I would caution that it takes a, a, a an incredible power team based on the ground. Uh, you have to know something about rehabs or estimating costs before you get into that. I would caution that. Uh, in my opinion, you start small, and then once you get to your level, yes, you buy a commercial speed up property and try to add value to it, right? Uh, yeah, so f a couple of things. So first and foremost, the only reason I was able to get those buildings is because I had a track record. There wasn't gonna be a bank CEO or whatever he was, president I think, calling me, reaching out to me if I didn't have a track record. And don't start there. And don't, don't come into this game with this huge visions that you're gonna own an apartment out of the gate. I think the Grant Cardone model of that being your first thing Man, is ridiculous. I, I own yeah, a bunch of. A, yeah, yeah, I own so a bunch. You know, he's a sales guy. I, I don't think he actually, you know, swings a hammer. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't. I'm not getting the feeling he or his wife swing a hammer or paint a room. Yeah, that, that's true. But again, yeah. when you're at that level, you know, you, you outsource and you pay other people. But he's a he's a marketing sales guy. You know, most of his message is great. I just don't like the idea of telling investors start with apartments, especially today. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a big trap. Um, hey, real quick, a plug. Um, April 27th, Better Turnkey uh, is having a boot camp in a high-rise downtown San Francisco. Um, email Bobby or myself at betterturnkey.com. It's all there. We'll walk you through this process and get you started on, on your own uh, roadmap. Hey, so um, just, just a few other things, too, that you mentioned in, in that message, right? Um, I, when I hear investors come to us and, and they talk about strategy, um, and by the way, there's some background noise. I have a rehab crew right now in my house. It's okay. But uh, they talk about strategies and whatnot. And when I hear, to your point, this idea of the alligator, the appreciation, it, it's, in my opinion, it, it's a risky move because you're automatically trying to time the market. You, you're assuming things that you probably don't know. Because there's, if you're not in that local market, if you don't know street by street, if you don't know the politicians, you know, the, where the dollars are coming from, the investors, how are you to know what's to happen in the next three or five years, right? So yeah. cash flow first, appreciation second. Yeah, right? uh, yeah. again, if we go back to you know, my message, right? What I kind of teach is if you really want to retire with rentals, appreciation should not be part of your calculations at all. Now, don't get me wrong. I know what happens. I've used appreciation. I 1031, I did all that stuff. I don't want to see appreciation in your upfront picture, right? Um, I think specifically where Bobby and I are, right? San Francisco, Bay Area, all of that. The only people buying rentals today are people betting on appreciation. Oof. I saw too many people in between 2009 and 10 go bankrupt with that strategy because their hold times get longer, expensive private money or hard money. And, um, you know, this place can eat you alive if you time the market wrong. I'm not about timing. I'm, you know, I got lucky on timing a couple of times, I guess, but I don't count on it. I want to be able to hold for the long term. When I buy an asset, I want to be able to conservatively finance it and hold it regardless of what happens. Everything I financed before the peak, the reason I held on to all of them is because they were financed conservatively 
and I didn't care what the value was. The value could be 10% of what I paid, but as long as the cash flow and rents exceeded what I was uh, costing me each month, I could hold until it returned. Um, so that's, that's, you know, please, if you're yeah. listening to my message, don't count appreciation in your upfront. Yeah. Note. And, and, and Bobby, last question, and then I'll pass the uh, baton to you. So on that note, um, I think it's, you know, and feel free to share how, however much you want, but could you uh, pr provide us a, a breakdown of your portfolio? You know, what percentage is multi-unit, single family, commercial, and if you care to, maybe show us some ROI figures or, you know, cash flow concepts. Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm going to go from memory. It's actually documented in the book. I forget what page it is. Uh, but we own, when you talk, we own apartment buildings ranging from five units to 18. So those are commercial. That probably makes up about a hundred or so of our doors. Maybe it's 105, maybe it's 95. It's right around there. Uh, and then the other 70 to 80 doors are what people would call residential. So that's single family homes to fourplexes, uh, specifically single family homes. It's probably 45 ish single family homes. So a decent portfolio. Uh, we're doing our taxes right now. I mean, if you, if you guys want to hear numbers, we collect over um, just out of Fresno over $1.3 million in gross rents uh, was the, the taxes, you know, the 1099s we got from our, our property manager and section eight and on all those things. So kind of cool number um, net net cash flow, as I documented in a video yesterday is north of 20 K a month. We don't need to get into specifics. It's, it's a nice number, right? I can live on that, right? If you can't live on 20 K a month, you have a spending problem, not a income problem. Um, and then as far as ROI is in so return. You're about, you're about 100, $150 per door. Yeah, roughly. Solid, right? Yeah, some, some are four or 500, yeah. some are 75. But yeah, I mean, if you want a blended average, yeah, right around that. Um, now I get to, you know, when you get to this level, right, you're into this more than a decade, as we talked earlere, Tom, you actually can start to uh, de-risk your portfolio. What I mean by that is you can start moving equity around. So I've actually just laddered up LTV on my duplexes through quads and I paid off all my houses. So why would I do that? Well, I want the just in case portfolio, right? Just in case Armageddon comes or whatever happens and I have to lose everything for whatever reason, I have these you know, 40 or 45 houses all free and clear. I'm like, you know, come get these, right? So um, those are things you can start to play with. Again, it's not something a new investor would think about, but know that that's in your future uh, when you build your portfolio. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, life's good. Great, great. Mike, talk a little bit about, you know, you've, you know, you have built great amount of equity. You own a bunch of them free and clear, mm -hmm. which, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, talk a little bit about asset protection. Like what mm -hmm. have you done to make sure that you're protected? You know, obviously insurance, yeah. you know, creating the right LLC, but talk to our audience a little bit more about what else have you done for asset protection? Yeah. So um, I want to be very clear on this. I'll answer the questions because I was specifically asked what I do. I do not make recommendations on this one. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an accountant. I am not giving anybody legal or accounting advice. I'm simply asking, what did we do? Yep. Um, so I, I don't want anybody to hear this video and go, well, you said blah, blah, blah. No, I'm telling you what I did. I believe asset protection as far as being a landlord is actually sort of like an onion with its different levels. Um, First and foremost, it starts with doing the right things, running a good shop, running good operations, all of that, right? Uh, don't cut corners. Uh, if you're using a property management team, make sure they're doing the right things and everything's documented and there's processes and procedures and all the stuff that, that you guys do for 
um, your different areas. And, and I'm sure will be shared at your workshop uh, coming up um, in San Francisco. That's, that's one. Step two is you need to create, you know, kind of legal barriers or entity barriers, right? LLCs, S-Corps, C-Corps. Again, talk to whoever you would like to, to kind of get your advice because everybody's situation is different. Uh, in the beginning, we set up um, LLCs, uh, a couple, to kind of divide up our portfolios. We actually had kind of a his and hers, right, because we wanted to create two different things so they wouldn't cross-pollinate. Um, but, you know, in the beginning, we had to buy some things in our name. So we did buy a few first few houses in our name and didn't, didn't uh, move those into the LLCs until we got into apartments, which went into LLCs. So we have bought in our own name, right, in the beginning. Um, you know, I should at least share with that. It's not something um, that I tried to do or thought I did, but the only way I could get a loan, right? The LLC wasn't seasoned and the bank said no. And, you know, sometimes you just got to go. Uh, and then the other thing that I would, I would paramount, um, even if you don't do an LLC, is please, please, please get an umbrella policy. Um, you know, I, you, you get a landlord policy on every rental. Uh, and then what I did is I got an umbrella policy on top of that, right? I was trying to create, you know, something would really bad have to happen. So uh, after 15 years, um, I've had fires uh, and insurance paid for all of that, minus the deductible. I have been sued twice. Once was kicked out immediately. The other one was... Um, we could have fought, but the way the contract was written, if I ended up paying $1 to the, to the plaintiff, I would have had to pay the entire legal bill for the other side. So my insurance company said, let's just cut them a small check and be done with these people, even though you did nothing wrong. And again, it was stressful, but that's what insurance is for. So they took care of all of it for me after they did an interview and said, okay, what's going on? Then they did their own calculations and said, hey, it's in your best interest to cut them a 10K check or whatever it was. And um, we'll do that for you. You owe nothing. Sign here. I'm like, great. Sign here. I'm done. Um, so the stuff happens, right? You're in a business. It's a people business. Some people are not very nice and try to use the thread of suits and, and all of that to come after you. And that's why you have insurance and umbrellas and legal entities to protect you. So, and then the last thing is trusts that often go unstead. Uh, we actually took our personal residence and a vacation home we have and put in a trust separate from everything else, right? We were like, get these away from everything. Um, so that's everything that I remember us doing. Hey, hey, uh, hey, uh, Zuber. So, you know, I think Bobby's question is again, another leeway to the, to another key point, right? Which is, um, you hear about, you know, you hear Kiyosaki talk about this, Tom Wilwright, you hear Marco at Narada. Um, they often reference the, this idea that it's really hard to become wealthy and, you know, to your status on your own. Right. So typically you got to have a team that helps you do it, whether it's an accountant, a lawyer, a rehab crew, contractor, what have you. Right. So who are your, you know, top three people that have helped you get, oh. you know, excluding your wife. <laughs> um, that <laughs> That's <have>, good. <laughs> happy wife, happy life. Um, that have helped you get to where you are today. Oh, that's, wow. That's a great question. I'm glad that one came up. Um, so again, right. Give the wife full credit. We're not here today talking if she's not hundred percent on board and you know, that goes unsaid every single time. Thanks honey. You did a great job. Um, so number one for me, again, remembering who I am, right. Uh, number one's a property manager. I had to have a team property manager that would, that would invest side by side with me, uh, and was really part of it. And that's just the hardest thing to do as a landlord. Uh, and that's what I'm excited by what you guys bring, right? The boots on the ground. Um, Cause I had to fire the first five property managers I had and that's stressful, right? I'm two and a half hours away one way. So it's a five hour day just, just to start. And um, so I, I wouldn't be here today without property managers, right? That's, that's the number one thing for me. And 
And really, they, I, I outsource everything except two things. The only two things I ever want to do and still do today and did day one was secure capital, right? Either my W-2 job or whatever, and find deals. Those are the only two things that I felt I had to own. Everything else was outsourced. The bookkeeping, the, the contracting, the painting, the, the writing of offers, all that other stuff was written. Uh, I just did those two things because I felt those were the highest use of my very scarce time, right? I had minutes a day to put into this and thus had to find and trust other people. Um, you know, so property manager is number one. Uh, number two are um, kind of real estate mentors, right? This business offers so many ways to go and so many different options. It was paramount for me to find other buy and hold people. And I was lucky enough to find a few buy and hold guys in my market. Um, but uh, interestingly enough, I found local real estate groups, which for me is important, right? Because I invested two and a half hours away and it's, you know, when real estate meetings are at 630, I'm not going to go there, right? Because they start at 630, they end at nine, I wouldn't be home till midnight. So I had to find local real estate meetups, like the stuff that you guys do in San Francisco and Fremont and, and all of that stuff. Those meetings were critical. One, they keep you motivated because this business will test you. It's hard. Bad things happen. Um, so going there and asking questions and just be around like-minded individuals just gives you a recharge. Um, and that's, that's important to me. Um, so I like the, like the local mentors. Uh, and then the other one were, um, depending on the market, right? In the beginning, it was my banker. Uh, but when the market turned, it was kind of real estate agents. For me, it's really two key people. It's property managers and it's local mentors. Yeah, that's great. Uh, hey, Bobby, just real quick, one, one, one quick plug. Um, so on the notes that you mentioned, again, we have a, an awesome company that um, helps you self-manage uh, your own doors called Hemline. The CEO will be at our boot camp April 27th. Again, uh, email us, betterturnkey.com. We'll give you all the details to get you going there. Yeah, let's ask one more question because I use the free Zoom and we have nine minutes to go. Because <laughs> I'm cheap. Uh, one, one last question and then um, we'll talk a little bit more about our, our upcoming bootcamp. Yep. So you, um, you specifically chose a market two and a half hours away. You saw a lot of value and I know mm -hmm. you and I have exchanged some emails. You know, I was in the same market about the same time. Yep. What, what, um, what would you advise new investors um, with technology uh, is, is exploring out of state or out of driving distance, mm -hmm. uh, what would be your recommendation for new investors that are looking to invest in turnkey properties out of state? Yeah, so I, what I would tell people looking to do that, and first and foremost, let's acknowledge when I started 15 years ago, turnkey wasn't really a word, right? It wasn't a thing. Um, if it was, I certainly would have evaluated it, but either if it was there, I didn't know, right? The internet was at a different version. There wasn't YouTube. There wasn't all these other things. So if it was there, I'm sorry, I missed it. Uh, but I don't think it was. Um, I believe people that are evaluating turnkey providers need to first and foremost, get to know the principals, the owners, because that's who you're betting on. And the market second. Right. And that's kind of reverse of what people think, right? People come into this business wanting to research a market and look at population and incomes and prices. But if you're going to be investing out of state, which is totally fine, right? I've done many interviews with out of state investors. You had better double down and get to know the principles because that's who you're betting on. Um, and most importantly, 
Um, I'm not so interested as a, as a buying a turnkey provider in the purchase. I want to know what you all are doing as far as property managers and keeping tenants happy, right? Because I'm buying a, something for a decade. So the fact that you guys are bringing the CEO of a, uh, you know, a property manager to your event is awesome. That gets me excited yeah. because I give a, if I know you guys are going to charge me what you charge me and you're going to make a profit, I don't care. Yeah. I want to know you're going to protect my asset for 10 yeah. years and you're going to protect me with turnover and you're going to handle evictions and, you know, rent increases and all of that stuff. If you're just a turnkey provider trying to sell me the late, latest swizzled property and don't talk to me about property managers, run away. Don't even go there. They're going to, even if they give you a deal, they're going to burn you long term. Long term. Yep. So um, that's what I would tell them. So uh, why don't you guys, uh, you know, tackle your event on April 27th. I'm honored to come speak. Yep. Um, look forward to, to, to attending it as well all day. Um, so go ahead, April 27th in San Francisco, yeah, go April, for it. Yeah, April 27th, Saturday, full day event. We'll probably get started at nine. We'll go probably till four. It's, it's really focused on providing you all the tools. You need to become a better investor for out-of-state rentals or out-of-the-bay-area rentals. You, know, you can call them remote rentals. But we want to give you uh, all the tools. So Mike, who's managed a lot of uh, remote rentals, he's going to be our keynote speaker. He's going to go into in-depth uh, de details of what it takes. Tom and I obviously have been doing remote rentals for a long time, so we're going to share our knowledge. And uh, we'd like to invite you, um, you know, uh, drop a, an email, uh, tom at uh, betterturnkey.com or bobby at betterturnkey.com, and we'll send you all the details. We'll be announcing that event on our meetups as well and on social media. So, so first of all, Mike, thank you again so much for your time. Uh, Tom, you as well. Uh, great to connect. With, Thanks, uh, guys. Yeah, and what I'll do for everyone is I will put uh, it's just betterturnkey.com in the description, and, and I'll also put it's just Tom at betterturnkey and then Bobby at betterturnkey.com. I will put both those emails in the description. Uh, any last uh, thing? We got five minutes still, Tom, if you want to say something. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I would reiterate the, uh, the guest list. Zuber is going to be our headliner, he'll be there signing books. Um, which is right behind him there. Um, awesome book we've recently read. Uh, we have the CEO from Hemlane. We have uh, our boots on the ground that takes care of our Southeast market. They'll be there to help you understand what they're doing and the rehabs, what their quality of products are. We have uh, a guy that's going to help you understand how to use your IRA to, to begin investing in real estate. Um, we have some other guest speakers too that, you know, awesome lineup, um, a lot of content there. So. Yeah. In the end, what I'll just say, closing this out is you can absolutely 100% retire with rentals, right? Their tagline, absolutely positive. Uh, right. You need to think in decades. You need to surround yourself with people that are like-minded, that are motivated to help, uh, such as uh, Bobby and, and, and Tom. Uh, and I look forward to being there and, and meeting all of you. If, you. if you have the book, bring it. I'll sign it for you. Yep. Uh, also, uh, if you haven't already know, I, I like to take selfies with the book because I use them as little marketing plugs. So let's take some selfies. Yep. All right, everybody. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Bobby and Tom. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Tom.